Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. This is actually take two of uh, this particular day's podcast. I only did 30 seconds, but I had a sneezing fit. And I decided, why record the sneezing fit if I don't have to? See, I'm like getting so good at this tech thing. It's unreal. Today is Wednesday, April 14th. I would say it's the day before U.S. Tax Day, but our tax filing deadline was extended to May 17th. And that's if you couldn't extend anyway, which we always end up doing for reasons, mainly because of our CPA schedule. (laughs) Um, So it's funny, April 15th used to be such a drop-dead deadline. I remember once in college to my mother's infinite dismay uh having to drive down to the post office in downtown st louis when i was in college to uh get the post the stamp you know the what do we call it not the postage stamp but you know the anyway that it was that i mailed it on april 15th at like 10 o'clock at night I got it done. That's how I did everything in college and, and high school too. I was, I was really bad about things uh, that way um, or bad. I don't know. I procrastinated a lot in part, but I also, I had everything very meticulously scheduled and, <laughs> and I would fit things in like right before the deadline. My meticulous scheduling did not take the form as it does for some people of getting things done weeks or months ahead of time. Instead, I got it done at the last moment. But, you know, I got my taxes filed. So um, we could talk about that a little bit more. I'll do earrings today. Today's earrings are a pair of my favorites. I wear these all the time. If you're on video, you can see why, because they stand out really nicely. Um, this is a color I wear a lot, a lot, this pretty teal blue and stands out well in my hair. They have some light to them. I'll hold it up and you can see that they are polished bits of, um, I think sea glass bound in silver wire, simple dangling ovals, uh, ovoids. I don't know if that makes them three dimensional, but, uh, yeah, basically that's all they are, but they, they pick up the light. I love the way they pick up the light. And we got these in the Dominican Republic when we were there on vacation. Um, probably yeah, like 12, 11, 12 years ago. Um, and we were there and I saw them at the, the gift shop at the resort that we were staying at. And David bought them for me as a Valentine's present. So everything about them is good. Um, And they were not expensive either. You know, it's not funny how it's like some of the things that are not necessarily the most expensive, um, you know, it's sort of, you know, what what brings you joy, right? Brings you pleasure. Um, Yeah. So so actually that gives me something to talk about with the... um, you know, like the scheduling and the procrastinating and that sort of thing. Uh, and I could touch base a little bit on, like yesterday, I did not get much done. I did work on that synopsis 
that I owe to Sarah. And at least I got the bones down. I, I hate writing a synopsis. I mean, everybody hates writing a synopsis. That's like one of those things about writing a synopsis. Um, you know, in, invariably there will be a newbie author saying, God, you know, I just really hate writing a synopsis. And everybody's like, yeah. Um, if you could write the story in a synopsis, you wouldn't have to write the book. So I'm much better at writing a synopsis than I used to be. I'm using the same technique that I use for, say, fight scenes, that I just go through and put everything in there that I need to put in there, and then I go back and layer and refine. Uh, so this is just like a one-page synopsis uh, to give people an idea, give my editor an idea of how the story would go. It's um, one of the challenges of a synopsis is that it's tempting to make it be and then, and then, and then. Um, and it's, you also have to find the right balance between too much information and too little. Um, and the other thing <laughs> a synopsis needs to do, and this is part of why everyone hates a synopsis, is it does a lot of heavy lifting for something that nobody actually wants to write. The synopsis should also capture a feel for the voice of the book, um, and it ends up being a marketing tool. So it needs to be sexy enough to sell not to readers necessarily, but to people in like uh, foreign rights and movies. You and, and even the BCC of the book, I have had publishers where the uh, whoever they hired to write the back cover copy, the BCC, I, I know they pulled it directly from my synopsis because I can tell they like my phrases are in there. And um, unfortunately, sometimes they tend to spoiler. That's the other thing about synopsis and don't worry about this when you're writing the synopsis but the synopsis should absolutely spoil all the twists in the book it should spoil the ending because that's part of the point um especially if you're a newbie author uh you have to have to have to tell them how the story ends because part of what you're doing is you're proving to them that you actually have finished the book and that there is an ending. Um, this may sound uh, like, I don't know, I don't want to say trite, but um, you're like, well, of course my book has an ending. <laughs> but a lot of times um, we, we sell books to publishers and agents and so forth that aren't, really entirely completely done you know you've done it so the synopsis should have an ending even if you're not sure if it's the real ending which is what i do <laughs> uh, although most notably the synopsis that i wrote yesterday um I did not include an ending because I don't know how it ends. Uh, and will I include one? See, this is one of these things where it's like, do as I say, not as I do. Okay, so here is one of the most unfair things about being an aspiring author is that if you are trying to sell your first book or your first book to trad, which can are close to the same thing, uh, 
you may have self-published, unless you're a hugely successful self-published author. Uh, if you have a few self-published books, it doesn't, it won't count for trap. I mean, that's not fair too, but it, it just won't. So the thing is, is that unless you are already successfully traditionally published, um, you have to work much, much harder than, than someone who is. So I can get away with all kinds of shit now that I could not get away with um, back in the day. And yes, it's unfair. It's, it's unfair. I'm sorry. I apologize to you all. And the only thing that any of us can tell you who uh, are in that enviable position is that we once were where you are now and that we totally sympathize. So that's one reason why when people give you advice on your book and they say, well, you can't open with X and you'll say, yes, but incredibly successful, famous author opened with X. It's like, yeah, yeah, they did. And, but they can get away with it because they're incredibly famous X author, um, big name author. So when you are a newbie, you have all kinds of things to prove to the people considering buying your book. And one of them is that you're capable of finishing a book. Uh, once you've finished a bunch of books, you know, like where I'm at now, especially since this is something for an editor who's worked with me before, she knows that I can finish a book and she knows that I can finish a book well. And she also knows that I don't always know how my books end. And so, so I can get away with that because I have that track record. Um, but if you're new, they don't know if you can finish a book. And this is something that a lot of authors um, are not capable of doing. So uh, George R. R. Martin, <coughs> no, I mean, obviously they finish a book, but um, finishing out a series, uh, completing a story. Uh, you know, there, there's an example of a, of a track record. Um, that, that's not fair. That's a, that's an entirely different situation. I probably shouldn't have dragged in that particular conundrum. We could talk about what's going on there. I think I have, but anyway, um, you know, you may know quite a lot of people who have started books and never finished them. You yourself may have books that you have started and never finished. And that is standard. I mean, it's, it is par for the course. That is, um, it is one of the great challenges. Um, it's very, it's pretty easy to start a book. It's incredibly difficult to finish a book. It's difficult to finish a book well. And, and traditional publishers know this. So they want to know, is there an ending? And tell me exactly what it is. And of course, the best way to do this is to do as I say it, not as I do, and to actually finish the book. And then you will know what the ending is. And then if they want to change the ending, if they think you should, they will talk to you about that. But you, you have to demonstrate that you at least did that. Uh, other things that you have to demonstrate as a newbie author, uh, are, you know, just general competence. I mean, there's the whole, you know, is your story brilliant, which, you know, we just hope that it is, but also 
you know, are you a sane person to work with? And it's funny because there are a lot of crazy writers out there and there's a lot of crazy people who want to be writers. There's a, we could do a Venn diagram of this, but one thing that agents and editors really look for when they're considering taking on an author is that they do the crazy check because uh, they do not want to work with somebody who's going to end up um, making them miserable through craziness. So, so part that's part of what being able to write a synopsis does. And like I said, that's a lot of heavy lifting for a slim piece of writing, but it demonstrates a lot of things. It, yeah, I mean, that's basically it. It's like your synopsis is basically a resume for your book. That's a good way to think of it. And so, I mean, you spend a lot of time tweaking it. So that's what I did yesterday was I got this at least down so I could start on it. I'm going to try to finish it this morning. And then I got everything set up for Bright Familiar. I made my plans. I got a whole bunch of business handled. So, you know, I feel like I have cleared my desk and laid the foundation for the work going forward. And to circle back a little bit on the scheduling thing. So the thing was, and and it's funny because Dorinda and I have talked about this because she in school was also the student who wrote her papers the night before. She stayed up all night and wrote them the night before and turned them in. Uh, and, th and she has not changed dramatically, although she's changing now under my careful tutelage. Uh, she's so much less stressed. And this is, this is the thing is you can do it. Um, you know, and people were always telling me that I couldn't do it that way, that, you know, there would always be these sort of vague, uh, predictions of terrible things lying ahead that <laughs> if I did not clean up my act and stop doing things at the last moment, but frankly, that punishment never came. It always worked out just fine. And if you're reasonably clever and you are good at being a student, uh, which are not necessarily the same thing, right? You know, if I had the, uh, the good fortune to test well, I test well and I write things, I can write things on the fly well. And those are valuable talents to have and I appreciate having them. Uh, so I could write papers at the last minute. When I wrote papers in college on my brother, Correctronic Typewriter, uh, oh, children, before we had word processing, uh, I just typed my papers straight. And the Correctronic was great because I could back up and make corrections. It, it remembered within one line. And so I could actually correct within one line. And that was a miracle, you guys. If, if you've never had to like try to go through and correct typos with whiteout, you, you can't imagine what it was like to have something that let you uh, make corrections within the same sentence or same line on the page. But I just typed all my papers straight out, uh, thereby laying the foundation for how I write today, right? Only now I'm able to word process them and make more changes. But that part of what happened with that style of working was that I ended up writing short. 
when I first went to um, creative writing, I wrote essays, right? We talked about that. Uh, usually like 1500 word essays. I was golden at like the 1500 word essay. I could just slam that out in a couple of hours, right? And that was great. And I did a lot of work like that early on. When I transitioned to writing a novel, and I blogged about this the other day at um, the SSF, ah, SFF7, I, you know, about the difference between writing a novel and writing short. I really had to learn how to write a novel. And it's that work over time. It's the painstaking work over time. And, you know, I talk about this sometimes. It's like the laying of bricks that you just do some words, you know, and you just keep putting them into the story and into the story and into the story. And it can feel like a slog, and it is. But you just have to do that and keep going to make the story spin out. Sorry, I was thinking about something uh, somebody said, I'm, and I'm not going to, to argue with it here. Uh, it's, it's not quite on topic. So I, I went through, when I sold, it was pretty much, yeah, when I sold the 12 Kingdoms trilogy to Kensington, and I also had books due to Karina, and I was still working my full-time job. And I realized that I could not get things done at the last minute because they took too much time. It was not a matter of pulling a couple of all-nighters because I couldn't possibly write a novel in that amount of time. And so, and I remember very clearly having this conversation with David, um, actually walking on the golf course in Tucson, uh, where my mom lives. Um, and it was a cool morning. And I remember it was back when I still had my Blackberry because I remember talking about the, the demands of the Blackberry. And that was the first thing I had, first uh, smartphone I had. So I don't remember how long ago this was. Probably not long after my mom moved in there. And I don't know when that was. But, I, you know, like 15 years ago. Is that right? Oh, well, it doesn't matter. It's probably not that long ago. Anyway. I remember having this conversation where David and I were walking the golf course and I was talking about how I really had to change my, my approach, my technique. And part of that involved this, what I've been talking about lately, doing a little bit every day and figuring out how to parse it out so that instead of arranging my schedule so that I did a big clump of work at once, which worked great for me, um, instead I would do a little bit every day and and that that has worked out and that's what I've been working with Dorinda on doing too so and I think it's um it's, it's helping we've both been disrupted the last couple of weeks all sorts of odd stuff going on unusual stuff going on like family demands and me traveling but we're both excited to get back into the schedule and do this thing so that's what I'm going to do uh, I hope that you all have a terrific Wednesday. I hope that you are uh, getting things done incrementally or otherwise. And I will remind you all that First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network.
And you will find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.